You're listening to Kayama Community Radio. Hello, this is Madeleine. In today's episode, renowned artist Robin Sharp talks to fellow artist Jamie Cole about his practice and their shared experiences. Jamie Cole runs the art bar Kayama with his husband Bruce Ferguson, and currently the art bar is showing a joint exhibition by Jamie Cole and Kim Irwin entitled Don't Pop Over to My Place. Apparently the exhibition was intended to be called Pop Over to My Place, then 2020 hit and we all know what happened next. Stay tuned because later in the episode we'll introduce you to our new short spot called Heritage Hotspots, where Mark Whalen shares with you some interesting details about Kayama's past. And also today we're going to hear a couple of tracks from Wollongong-based musician Corey Legg. Corey won a prestigious Young Regional Artist Scholarship from the New South Wales Government in 2018, which he used to record his debut album, Driving Out of Eden. We'll start with the single from that album, also called Driving Out of Eden, which was named Song of the Week in March 2019 on Blues and Roots Radio Worldwide.
Hello and welcome. This is Robin Sharp and today I'm talking to Jamie Cole, a well-known man about town in Kayama who runs the art bar with his husband, Bruce Ferguson. Hi, Jamie. It's lovely to be with you today. Hi, Robin, and hello, listeners. Tell me, how did you get involved with the arts? It was kind of accidentally on purpose. When I was young, my mum thought I was a sensitive boy. You so, are. <laughs> so I went off to drama classes <laughs> and joined the local theatre group. And I loved it and excelled and had dreams of running off to NIDA and becoming a great star. But as, as I got older and a little bit more insecure, I didn't think I was tall enough or pretty enough to make it as a leading man. Right. <laughs> and at that time, there weren't many Australian actors doing well overseas. So my B plan was to go off to art school. Everyone told me there's no money to be made in the arts. So true. <laughs> so true. So like a lot of artists, I uh, studied to be a visual arts teacher. So I thought that's always the backup plan. Okay, we have that in common, that's for sure. We do. Did you end up teaching at all? Yes, I taught visual arts at De La Salle College in Ashfield for nearly 10 years. And then that was kind of enough for me. Yes, I understand that one as well. <laughs> What inspires you the most and, and what themes do you like to work on? What inspires me is people around me, our community, social commentary, what's affecting us all. Uh, my art is quite illustrative. I like to tell a story and yes. that story could be personal or be broader. Sometimes it's a reaction to things that are happening. Yes, I think art is most expressive when it does have that personal emotional content to it. Definitely. It has to, has to have something to say. It's not just a decorative piece. No, it's not just decorative. I, I think art needs to challenge, inform and comfort as well. So how do you work and how has your practice changed over the years? I didn't practice for quite a long time. When I left teaching, uh, I moved to Paris for a little while, 33 at the time, and I wanted to study art in Paris, but I was too old. Oh, come on. You have to be under the age of 30 to study uh, in Paris unless you get a residency. So when I came back from Paris, I decided I didn't want to go back to teaching and I went into coaching and I taught swimming. So what would you say your biggest influences are, Jamie? I know pop artist seems to be your thing. So what artists particularly inspire you? Are they all pop artists or do you have a wider field? I'm influenced by quite a variety of artists and, and quite a field. The biggest influences are pop artists. I think um, Keith Haring as a soulmate. Yes, his style is almost cartoonish. And Keith Haring was probably the first artist to go from the street into a gallery. His art had a massive social comment. He was huge during the AIDS crisis and he used his art as a tool to raise money and awareness. Okay. Andy Warhol was a big influence. The early pop artist, Rosenberg. Stein. Then the Australian pop movement, the Yellow House movement. Gosh, yes, that was all happening when I was at art school. Brett Whiteley. Yes. Use of um, his abstracted figures and his I collage and his work. I love his work. He's and one just, of my all-time favourites. And as you see in my work, collage is a big signature. Yes. Uh, Wanda Villa, Australian artist who used a lot of sexuality in his work, uh, borrowed heavily from the pop artists. And Jean-Michel Basquiat. Massive influence in my work. Yes, well, he's big time now. So do you find the working experience lonely or is it meditative? 
I find the work meditative. I got back into my painting probably about 2009. I hadn't painted for about 10 years. I got back into it as a way of healing, as part of therapy for myself. I'd gone through a relationship breakup. I moved into an apartment by myself, and I thought it was a way of helping me get my feelings out and express myself, and a bonus, colour the walls. Now it's my happy place, my studio. I love to paint alone. I don't like being in a, uh, a group situation. I would never share a studio space. My studio is my safe place and my haven. Yes. Where I can be silly. It is for me too. Pop on the music, dance and sing and paint away. That's great. So do you have a dream project at all? Is there something that you'd just be itching to get your hands around? I've had a couple of Mardi Gras shows over the last few years uh, at um, Artsite Gallery and uh, there were premier events with Mardi Gras. The first one was dealing with uh, the Australian government trying to ban amyl nitrate and poppers. So that was a comment about why they're taking the gay community again. So the exhibition was about porn and poppers. So it was a, a bit of a social comment. This past year, I looked at the issue and stigma of people living with HIV AIDS. It still exists in a gay community, gay and lesbian LBGTQI community, if you like to call it, and the wider community. So I created a, a series of works dealing with stigma. Those kind of works I would love to travel with. I know there's a gallery in New York where I'd like to show them, but I'd also like to take the work through regional Australia and throughout Australia just to show people and make it more obvious and aware that these issues still exist. Yes. There's still a broad discrimination towards the gay and lesbian community and transgender community and a huge stigma still towards HIV AIDS, even by our own community and gay men. I'm surprised at that because AIDS has been with us for more than 30 years now. I came across a new patient form just recently in Kiama and general questions about your health and things, what have you experienced, do you have this, do you have that? And in blazing capital letters, it was written on the form, do you have AIDS? And I was really angry. I thought, we're no longer dealing with the Grim Reaper situation that we were. Uh, We shouldn't be building that kind of fear. And no one lives with AIDS. They might live with HIV. They might die from AIDS-related complications. But to have that on a medical form, I thought that was really archaic and really offensive. So there's still a lot of education and awareness to be made. Absolutely. That's a bit of an eye-opener because you are so aware of it. But for me, someone who's not aware of it, it's really quite surprising because I thought with marriage equality and, well, being in Sydney, it's more open now. I wouldn't have thought that was still an issue. I think there was a great ride of equality when we had the marriage equality debate. But I always knew there would be a backlash at some stage, and we can see that happening now. Oh, really? The rise of very conservative policies in our government. So there's a big fight still to have. So what role, then, does the artist have in society for you? I think the artist has a huge role, not only just to create, but also to inform, to challenge, to educate. Not every artist has that responsibility, I don't think, but... There are many of us who take on that responsibility and we take it on with pride and enthusiasm. And the more we show a mirror to our society through our work and the more we confront and challenge people and their thoughts and views, the better we all are. Yes, so many artists just take the safe road and, well, we all do what we can. But I think it's wonderful that 
your work with Bruce at the Art Bar is encouraging support for worthy causes and you often host shows which are donating proceeds to help local charities. I've been a part of that and I think it's a wonderful thing. Yes, we've raised our money for um, Suicide Prevention Australia, for SASI, the women's organisation who deal with homeless women and women who need refuge. We've worked with Beyond Blue. We worked with the AIDS Council a few years ago doing the regional Mardi Gras Art Prize. And that was a really worthwhile cause to spread the education of what ACON are doing to reach out across all of Australia, actually. We had artworks from all over Australia received. So that was very rewarding. And building and getting to know the LGBTQI community in Kiama. They're not as visible as a lot of people would think, but right. they are there. Yes, absolutely. So should art be funded? Definitely. As we spoke earlier, it's hard to make a living out of it and it's such an important part of our education and our life. I think it's a great way for young people to express themselves and it employs millions of Australians, the arts. It's uh, such a broad field. Yes, and it's suffering at the moment. The arts got left out in the JobKeeper and JobSeeper program. And the last federal budget... The last federal budget, yes. And the government's making it more expensive and harder to study the arts and the humanities as well. Yes. We want to create individuals. We want to create free thinkers. That's not happening in our school system and they're trying to stifle that in our education system as well. Well, I think most people would understand that the arts and studying the arts makes people more creative and leads to lateral thinking and sparking new ideas and innovation and that is all for the benefit of the whole of society. Definitely. So can I ask you, what role do you think art funding has for the whole of society, not just particular artists? More community-based programs would be good, more regional-based programs, not just the big-name arts organisations. And looking at programs that will reach the further community and not just the elite. Yes, it's so often the case that Sydney gets all the attention and everybody else has to go begging, particularly country towns lacking in so many resources. Definitely. That was one one of the big things we noticed when we moved to Kaima, that the closest real gallery is Wollongong or Nowra, and it'd be wonderful if we had a real regional gallery in Kaima. Us private galleries can't do it all ourselves. Right. Are you working towards that? Not me personally. I've been involved with the Kaima Cultural Program. My husband, Bruce, was chair for a while and we're looking at trying to build a gallery space in Kaima, but I don't think it's the same model as a regional gallery. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Robin. It's been lovely talking with you today. KiamaCommunityRadio.org the exhibition, Don't Pop Over to My Place, runs till November 29th at the Art Bar Kayama. Here's another song by Corey Legg. It's called Fireball.
This is Mark Whalen for Kiama Community Radio. I am here with a heritage hotspot where I will be telling you a true but little known story from Kiama's rich past. William Kelly, well known Kiama tailor and father of three time Oscar winner Ori Kelly, was also locally famous as an escapologist who was renowned for the Monte Cristo trick. In this trick, he was padlocked and chained, tied in a sack, and then tossed into Kiama Harbour. He always escaped. Late on December the 5th, 1888, the Ajax towing the dredge Pluto began taking water off Kiama. Captain James Hutton ordered the crew to abandon ship, leaving Captain Hutton and two others on board. At 2am, Kiama pilot William Fraser rode out to the vessel. It eventually sank in Kiama Harbour. In daylight, William Kelly swam out. Once on board, he dived over the side and found a broken porthole, which had been the cause of the water entering the ship. He resurfaced, took a canvas sheet and stuffed it into the hole. After several hours of pumping, the ship rose to the cheers of onlookers. For his efforts, William Kelly was awarded a silver pocket watch that can be seen in the Kiama Pilots Cottage Museum. This story is available on the Maritime Museum Australia website and credit to Kiama Historical Society volunteer Malcolm Bedford for the whole text of this. This is Mark Whalen for Kiama Community Radio. I'm Glenn Shepherd. Join me on Mondays for Around the Arenas, KCR's sports program, where you'll hear what's been happening in sport across our region. I'll also talk to sporting identities to get an insight into the sports they're involved in. If you'd like to send me information about your sport or club event to be included in the program, email me at kcradiocontent@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And I look forward to seeing you around one of our sporting arenas. You've been listening to Kayama Community Radio.